0: The Enter Sad Men Podcast Every rock and metal album You should own, reviewed Rated and ranked
1: So welcome to another edition of the Enter Sad Men Podcast Week number 36 Episode number 36 This week um, This is the only hard rock and heavy metal Podcast that aims to Rate, rank And review every Hard rock and heavy metal album that you should Own or have listened to by the time you get into your casket. That's the aim. Uh, We will be here for as long as fate allows us. If you want to find out a bit more about us and about the show, uh, go over to entersteadmen.co.uk. You can find the current Hall of Fame because that's the name of the game. We're putting these into order. There are a lot of albums now in there and there are a lot of surprises also in there. Joined, as always, by my co-conspirators, uh, Richard and Steve. Hello, gents, how are you? Hello, very good, thank you.
2: Yeah, very well, mate, very well indeed.
1: Looking forward to this again. Uh, for those of you who uh, haven't heard the podcast before, first of all, where the fuck have you been? Uh, second of all, what we do every week is we ask a random tombola, which we have called the Tico Torres Tombola of Topics and Themes, to spit out a number. The number correlates to... A very very long list of topics and themes that we have created and we are then tasked with finding an album each that fits the theme which we review in the show so without further ado last episode at the end of last episode tico spat out a number that related to what richard
0: well it corresponded to essentially Forms of transport. So trains, planes, automobiles, trucks, spacecraft, skateboards, well, maybe. So yeah, we all had to choose an album on that theme. So I went for a band uh, from the UK that became Thunder. Um, but at this time, uh, they were called Terraplane, a double meeting of the brief for me, because Terraplane, as well as being a plane, is a t- was a type of car, I found out. Uh, so I went for Terraplane's first album, which was called Black and White. Uh, Mark, what about your choice? The context is, or the
1: brief, also allowed us to choose albums that, as long as they were demonstrably linked to a form of transport, then they were fine so that could be the band title it could be the album title but it could also be the cover of the album and i chose an album that's got a big fucking truck on it carrying a guitar uh, it's a uh, an articulated lorry taking off into outer space and it was by a then completely unknown well no not completely unknown very largely unknown little band called deaf leopard with their debut album called on through the night now i have to admit something here which is every day or the day after we've we've recorded each of these episodes we do the big unveiling where we announce to each other what the album is that we have chosen Steve unveiled his and i didn't understand the link (laughs) and i was about to narrate him i was about to send him in fact i did send and then out of shame i deleted it i sent a text and. Berating him for, for for um for choosing an album that was basically about radios, but no, it wasn't about radios because I'd got completely the wrong end of the stick. So explain more, Stephen.
2: It's just ludicrous. It's truly ludicrous. <laughs> and I'm glad you and I'm glad you fessed up because I would have done it anyway. Because you, you deserve to be um, humiliated for, for just not getting it. First things first, though. I mean, I had the chat the night before. Yeah. Possible planes, trains, and automobiles. You brought up UFO. Who the fuck travels in a UFO? I mean, how is that possibly transport? But anyway, suffice to say, I didn't choose UFO, nor did I the others, because it would have been Blackpool UFO, fuck's sake. So, yeah, so I chose an album by the name of Mechanical Resonance by a band called, and I'm sure you'll all get it, Tesla. Yeah, exactly. It's a car. It's very, very simple. It's got four wheels. It's a car. It's Tesla. He didn't get it. We laughed long and loud, but we've had a good week listening to it anyway.
1: It's only just occurred to me, of course, that we're listening to three debut albums. This could be a calling cards episode, couldn't it?
0: We'll give uh, uh, our listeners just a little taster of some of the tracks on each of those albums before we get into the first one. So here they are. so there you go there's a bit of a taster for what we are going to be reviewing this episode third on the bill will be steve with tesla because we do these in chronological order so steve will be last with tesla i am in the middle with my terraplane album but kicking off this episode starting in 1980 uh, is mark with deaf leopards on through the night
1: opening album sleeve notes. Yes. So the the starting point for a band that I don't think anybody would doubt became one of the biggest on the planet, certainly in terms of sales, but it's although this album was released in 1980. This is a journey that really starts in 1979. uh, With the kind of the true start of the new wave of British heavy metal. I think it's worth saying at this point that we're dealing with two different bands now. We've got we got the band that Def Leppard became really with Pyromania um, and then Onwards, which is this sort of colossal take that machine. And then we've got the rock band, Def Leppard, that released two absolutely stunning albums in 1980 and 1981. I'm not saying I don't like some of what Def Leppard did after that. I really like Pyromania. Uh, I quite like Hysteria. And frankly, the rest of it can do one because it's just, it's not, it's, it's just not. But this is Def Leppard, the rock band, who are a new wave of British heavy metal band. There's no doubt about that. People say it was unfair for um, critics and fans to kind of put them in the same camp as the Iron Maidens of this world, but it isn't. That's that. Those were their peer group, and I think this album stands up to any kind of comparison with anything else that was around I, I would go so far as to say i'm really interested in your view of this because i had forgotten how much i love this album uh, i loved it when it came out a, a friend of mine played it to me i went straight out bought it I think it's an absolutely amazing album and i had forgotten a how how much i liked it and b how amazing it is but it was essentially preceded by a, an ep called uh, which was the deaf leopard EP. Um, they changed to the double P just shortly before releasing that EP. Uh, the Leopard was spelt in the conventional way up until that point. And this was their first full debut album, recorded in December 1979, released on March the 14th, 1980. It was recorded, at, and this is not the first album we re- reviewed on the podcast, that was recorded at a studio owned by Ringo Starr. This was recorded at Startling Studios in Ascot, Berkshire in the UK, owned by Ringo Starr. It was released on the Vertigo label in the UK, Europe, and Japan, and on Mercury in the United States of America. I was stunned to discover that this album is 43 minutes and 47 seconds long because it passes for me in the blink of an eye. It's 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 I always thought this album was a kind of a short, sharp kind of you know, run-through. Eleven tracks, one of which is very long. The rest of which felt to me like absolutely perfect hard rock, heavy metal songs because they were just literally three, three minutes, four minutes, and they were they were done. Forty three minutes, forty seven seconds, produced by um, the Colonel Tom Allen, who had uh, engineered previous other metal bands, notably Judas Priest among them. Uh, the band, well, for me, this is the classic. Uh, Def Leopard lineup it includes I think probably the best guitar pairing of any band and I realise that that might be controversial but I think um, Pete Willis and Steve Clark on guitars were absolutely peerless during this um, period. Joe Elliott on vocals, Rick Savage on bass and of course Rick Allen on drums and percussion who became famous for all sorts of other not so Um, good reasons, Um, back in 1984, uh, 85, uh, when he suffered a car crash and lost his arm, of course, and that's all all been really well documented. They started their life in uh, South Yorkshire, in Sheffield, and yeah, they kind of went and took America within four years, Uh, essentially owned the United States of America for Quite a while, so on through the night, reached number fifteen on the British charts. It reached a very moderate fifty-one on the uh, US Billboard two hundred. Uh, it went platinum in the United States and in Canada. It's eleven tracks long, as I say. Five uh, six on side one, five on side two. Uh, side one, when the walls came tumbling down. Satellite, it could be you. Sorry, as a woman. Hello America, which I think is where this band always intended to go, uh, and all started off by Rock Brigade, uh, and then side two, Wasted Rock Stuff, which is a re-recording of the track from the EP, which at that point was titled Get Your Rocks Off, Uh, It Don't Matter, Answer to the Master, and Overture. Pete Willis gave way after High and Dry to Phil Collin, and then we got the kind of the... Um, I was going to say saccharine, and it was, because they poured a lot of sugar on that band in the mid-'80s. Um, but one of my favourite albums, I, I, I know every word of every lyric on this album, uh, and even though I haven't played it from front to back in many, 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 many years, like probably two decades, I remembered all of them, uh, and the brain is amazing. How did you two find it?
2: That's a joy. It's... it's... Yeah, it's one of those albums you you simply, if you're a rock fan, it's an album you simply have to own. It's really interesting what you said, Mark, about um, this is the classic lineup, because I was listening earlier today to one of our previous podcasts, uh, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, when we did um, Hysteria um, and Richard introduced it. And he said at the time, this is the classic Def Leppard lineup that we all know so well. And I remember you at the time shaking your head and I thought he'll get his opportunity when we do On Through the Night, because I knew, I knew exactly what you thought of um, of the respective quintets. This is your famous five, isn't it? It is. I love this. I think, I just, I just think this is, this is everything that was great about British rock when Wobbham was such a watchword in music, but better, just better than other stuff that was being produced. These were kids, these were children writing this stuff, because most, most of it I'm guessing, had been written by... Well, all the stories I read is they went into... They had, set, they had these songs for ages. They were desperate to get into a studio. and so They must have written these when they were, you know, in nappies. It's fantastic stuff. And very few hints to the future, obviously, because of who, who the band is, who the producer is. Um, so I can't see hysteria in this, which is just as well. This is a straight-down-the-line riff-fest. And I tell you what, brilliantly written songs... All of them, yeah, all of them stand the test of time because the album stands the test of time. Looks and sounds like they had an absolute riot making it and it's just it's just impossible not to enjoy. I've, and like you, I don't play it enough anymore. Glad I did. Glad I did this week.
0: Brilliant. We should Yes, I love it too. Absolutely love this album. I think this is going to threaten the higher echelons, I would imagine. It's going to be fascinating how we score it. Yeah, Steve said there are parallels here, I guess, to Diamond Head, aren't there, in terms of this bunch of young kids let loose in a studio and the brief of the producer is capture them. Yes. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and Tom Allen did a, an absolutely brilliant job. And we went to see them live, didn't he, before? He said yes, but he instantly realized, you know, he, he said they, they, they were young, vigorous, and tight. Uh, so he 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 knew he could he could work with it. Interesting what what Steve says about a riff fest. Yes, it is a riff fest. What amazed me again listening to this end to end and really focusing in on it is how mature the songwriting is in a number of these tracks. And we'll go into it in more detail. It's incredible that you have got a bunch of I mean teenagers basically uh, producing this kind of music. So uh, it's oh where wh- where will it. I, I, it's absolutely definite this will score higher than Hysteria. I fully expect that. It's going to be fascinating when we review High and Dry and Pyromania where they come against it. But I, I think based on how much I've enjoyed it, and I know you two love this album, it's going to be a tough act to follow. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's go through it. Okay.
1: So, On Through the Night kicks off with just this wonderful hooky, riff uh of rock brigade that the lyrics are gauche they, they don't make a, a whole lot of sense it doesn't matter by the time this track is 20 seconds old you're sold i think you've got willis and clark tearing it up on the guitars you've got all of those i tell you the one thing that is on this album that is absolutely consistent with what the band then did in the late 80s and onwards is it's got those harmonies because this band did harmonies in a way that no other band around at the time did. And I think I said to you when I kind of revealed that this was going to be my choice, I said, I think this is the most important new wave of British heavy metal album released. What I mean by that is Def Leppard went on to show what could be achieved commercially in a way that Diamond Head didn't, which would be my other really important release in... New Wave for British Head Metal, but instant, instant, instant accessibility right from the word go.
2: Yeah, it's got that, um, it's just got that fantastic, you, you're, you're in there with that sort of double guitar crunch that that would become their trademark. I mean, we'll know them later in life through Colin and Clark, but this is Willis and Clark. Willis was a massive Judas Priest fan, wasn't it? So presumably, and cited Finn Lizzie as an influence as well, but they all did. So presumably they'd kind of nurtured that idea of the twin guitars they'd, Thought yeah. that through realized it worked and you know it absolutely does yeah this is this is just so full of confidence already isn't it it's just there's no there's no great finesse here and you don't kind of want it it's 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 there's a rawness i know you know the, the guy's are a good producer i guess i don't know much about him i know that they, they didn't want him they wanted Mutt lang straight away didn't they i think but yeah. um you know get him. I'm, you'd shoot for the stars i get that they got this guy brilliant but. Yeah, anyway, it's just, it's just perfect, a child drummer bouncing along and Elliot sing, Elliot singing rather than the, the gravel hasn't got into his voice yet. I, I, I just think it's a fantastic opener, fantastic opener.
0: It's a, it's a cracking opener, and what a calling card, as you say. It lays out their credentials. This is us. Thank you very much. Welcome to the world. One negative thing I will say that I think would have made this song even better is that I do feel that Joe Elliott's voice is 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 understated. Yes, he's not got the gravelly bit, but it feels like he's singing along with it as opposed to ab- stretching it another level. So that's that the only comment I will make about actually this, I've given this a high score, but it would have had another point had he really gone for it. And yeah. then it would have been the best opener ever.
1: Rock Brigade fades out and uh, fading in with, again, those... Dripping Harmonies is, I guess you, you have to call this Def Leopard statement track, don't you? Hello, America. Apart from the fact they use the word Frisco, which I don't think anybody in the world uses to describe San Francisco, or, or California IA, um, But this is just, again, it's got this amazing sing-along chorus that you just can't help singing along to. And you, those guitars, again just absolutely on point. And I think the secret with Tom Allen was that he got in there and he thought, I'm not going to fuck around with this because I I just need to catch this band live. I mean, uh, apparently they were an absolute fucking nightmare to work with because they were late, they just got to bed late, they got up late, you know, because they were kids. They were having the time of their lives. And and he just kind of got all of that and bottled it into this amazing 11-track. Debut album, and I just want to hear the next thing. Now I'm just kind of going. This is absolutely fucking amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. I absolutely. So it's interesting what you say about them being a nightmare to work for, because of course the probably the best song off it. Well, in my opinion, wasted. It was courtesy of one of them just turning up late and saying, "Look what I've got here," you know, and they were all about to bollock in for it. This is um, well, as you said, the clues in the song title, isn't it? And Joe Elliott, and this is where you know, love him or hate him. He'd made it clear that any quotes you read from him at the time, never later, at the time, you know, he didn't want to be in Sheffield. He wanted to be in an America. And he'd never heard of San Pedro Bay either. It just rhymed with California yeah, as well. So but that's, um, I don't even know if it exists or not. It doesn't matter. The song, it's a firecracker. It's an absolute firecracker of a song. Yes, there's synths in there. And um, you just can't argue with the tune. And it just powers along. It's, um, if this is the future, I'm still not picking up pyromania which is only a couple of years away and i'm in a happy place with it and i i love pyromania i still think it's their best work this to me as you say this is this is the band before them you know god bless them and all who sail in them
0: uh, J- joe Elliott said that la was a lot more sexier lo- a lot sexier than sheffield didn't he? Yes. <laughs> what's he on about this is a really good example of the maturity of their songwriting the, 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 like the you know the keyboard twinkles you can imagine that's sort of, you know sun on the water and the, the sun reflecting off the buildings or whatever else it, the there's there's some really nice breaks in it the, there's you know these cruising kind of power chords going through it uh, so, so yeah it's very really yeah, really nice breaks throughout the song really well put together I mean great song number two on this album.
1: And then song number three is—it's not a ballad, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's just a power. I want to say ballad. It's not a ballad, but it's—it's it's as close as you get to a ballad on this on this album. Um, Sorrow is a woman.
0: Yeah, it, 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 it's—it's just a slower rock song, isn't it? In, in in this song, I'm getting shades of Deep Purple. I'm getting shades of Blue Oyster Cult again in terms of that sort of composition and that that that's, that sort of sheer sort of scale. Uh, and it's just a very, very well-written, slower tempo song.
1: Yeah.
2: And if you ever want to highlight Rick Savage's bass playing, this is probably a oh, good track as any to do it with.
1: What I also love about this band at this particular point in their career is that they can't actually help themselves because it all then unravels into this glorious kind of heavy metal song at the end. But it's yeah. entirely in keeping with the start of it. So it's, it's entirely progressive. But it it becomes a riff fest at the end, and that's that's Willis and Clark. And I don't care what anybody says. Willis and Clark were better together than than Clark and and um, Colin. Um, Colin, I think is a yeah, he's a decent enough guitarist. But I think I think the 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 X factor in this, the secret sauce in this, is um, is Pete Willis.
0: It's interesting that you say about progressive because that there are there are a a few tracks on this album that could pass for a progressive rock track. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Rick Rick Savage says this was the first song he wrote. (laughs) Jesus. I mean, we're back to Brian Tatler territory, aren't
1: we? And track four, so two-thirds of the way through the album now, or halfway through the album, um, it could be you, which is possibly, depending on what mood I'm in and how I'm feeling, possibly my favourite track on the whole album because this does this has got an absolutely delicious choppy riff going through it it's got a hook line to die for i know there's there's it swirls and it moves and it's no just love it absolutely love this track and um i think Pete Willis Pete Willis really shows off his chops here as well
2: it's the only it's the only song that um Steve Clark didn't write as well isn't it isn't it because Willis wrote this one didn't he yeah well, it's uh, I, I get well, actually, I don't quite get what you're saying because it, it it doesn't have that same effect on me. But you know, beats of their own. Shako and Asongu, as we've said many times before, but it's it's, it's great fun. It's it's uh, and I love the way it picks up into um, who who does the solos. I don't is it is it Willis's solo on this. I don't know, but it's um you know it, the way it picks up into that solo is just fantastic.
1: No, the solo is Willis.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah.
1: and again, Rick Savage's bass
0: in this. The backbeats. It's fantastic in this track,
1: and if we thought that it could be you is good, well, then they come up and they go, no, we, we, we've got another one up our sleeves. Um, we've got Satellite next, and uh, and you're going to love that too, and I do. And it's got this sort of you know very atmospheric FX going on at the start of it, then Rick Allen Allen's drums sort of introduce the track, and then you've got um, you've got Willis and Clark sort of trading licks throughout it and then uh and, and a brilliant uh, chorus and i saw, saw them performing this on some tv show and i was quite taken with how awkward joe elliott looks as a front man in it and i think he's still trying to find his personality but it comes through in in buckets through the the vocal uh, performance but yeah translating them onto the stage and he's he looks kind of awkward and doesn't quite know how to move or where to move a very different beast to the one that kind of um, hit hit the stages around America in nineteen eighty seven, but um, yeah, again, another brilliant track.
0: Well, it just shows how again how varied this album is. We've had uh, five very very different tracks. I mean, this is lighter. This is poppier. Almost Queen style vocal harmonies in it. I uh, like the, the the guitars are lighter. In it, and again, I guess whether that's to do with the satellite, I don't know. Um, the, the solos are quite soaring, so that I, I, I maybe I'm reading t- too much into it, but they I think they they seem to have thought about the musically the story they want to tell.
2: I, I, I got a sense of that as well, and you may have well have overthought it, but I was thinking the same way. I think there's a kind of like a, a UFO feel to the back end of this song, you know, you can travel in a UFO, Mark planes, trains, and automobiles. It's amazing. I'll tell you what, I don't know whether you want to I don't know whether you want to go into this. You know we like this album a lot more than Joe Elliott, don't you? But you know that. So do we need to go there or not?
1: No, I don't want I don't want to, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the band are what they are. Good luck to them. Yeah. They absolutely yeah. deserve the success they got. That the, the issue I have with Joe Elliott particularly is that is his tendency to rewrite history rather than to reflect it accurately. So, yeah, I don't care whether he likes this album or not. This is what made him money. And it's still better than anything they did after 1983. So. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And we love it. And we love it.
1: And we love When the Walls Come Tumbling Down. We do. We do. When the Walls Come Tumbling Down is, I think, my favourite track on the album, is my highlight. I love the spoken intro, which is a bit cheesy, fromage. Uh, it's Dave, a guy called Dave Cousins doing what he described at the time as his best impression of Laurence Olivier, which was not a very good impression of Laurence Olivier. And um, and it's about, you know, it's about the whole, you know, an apocalypse, isn't it? And uh, and it's just, it, it uh, it's kind of epic, but not in terms of length, just in, in terms of the scale and ambition of the layers and... And when
2: and, and Richard, when you were talking earlier about the, the, the elements of progginess in this album, this, this this track certainly ticks that box, doesn't it? Very much so. It was apparently one of his um it was apparently one of his guitar techs who came up with that lyric at the start, the spoken but kind of awesome wells bit guy called Andy Smith, I don't know who he is or who he was, but yeah, it's great. But again, what what they do and, and you mentioned it earlier in um uh, sorrow as a woman, it's um they're itching they're riching to get the riffs going eventually, aren't they? And it does yeah. power on.
1: Yeah, we're off on a maiden gallop, aren't we, at the moment? Yes. And, uh, yeah. But as I said to you boys during the week, it does have my possibly my favourite lyric of all time. This this track, which which is a sinner sits reciting Dylan. It's now that I welcome the end. I just think that's brilliant and shows their sense of humour. Um, yeah, great track, Richard. So we flip the record over, and uh, we come up with um, side. Two, track one, I was reminiscing with Steve over the weekend about seeing Def Leppard uh, on the Hysteria tour and being absolutely gobsmacked that they actually played Wasted at the end of the show. Um, although setlist seems to suggest that they didn't, but I'm, unless I was on drugs myself, I'm pretty sure they did play Wasted that day, that night. And, um, I mean, we talk about side two, track one choices, don't we? Uh, this seems pretty good to me.
2: Yeah, I agree. The only song of this album they played at, um, and this is a sign of the times and how dismissive they were of this bloody thing. It was the only song they played at Donington in 86 off this album. Yeah, no, this is the song where Clark turns up late, gets bollocked by everyone. He says, but no, listen to this, and this is what you're listening to. Yeah, and their jaws dropped, and, and the next thing you know is you've got a little bit of rock. This is all about the riff. Forget everything yeah. else. This is all about. This was a single, wasn't it? Yeah. Not mm. produced by the Colonel, produced by someone else, Nick Tauber or someone like that. I don't know the story, but it was earlier anyway. And, um, yeah.
1: Nick Tauber, I think, had been an engineer with Tom Allen on a couple of Jesus Priest albums.
2: Mm, I think so. That's right. And also, interesting, he's a footnote, he was also um, a producer on a Girl album. And we know who came from Girl.
0: We do. The Colin. Yeah, did, whilst Joe... Do, doesn't think this is you know a, a super duper debut album. He likes this song in terms of its representation, doesn't he? Said so he it's honest, simple representative. So obviously, still remembers the day when Steve Clark spread his legs, hung, hung his guitar around his neck, and belted this one out. Uh, yeah, it's got massive energy. This song, great start to a second side.
1: It's also worth saying, isn't it? There are a lot of there are a lot of bands that don't like their debut albums because it's a bit too raw and a bit too exposed but um yeah this is a great song um but it ends as it must do and then goes into a kind of a a, a faux live version of um get your rocks off retitled for this album as just simply rocks off and i've never quite understood why they bolted the crowd effects onto the front and the back of it it's not a live version It, it it doesn't add anything to the experience i think it's a great track it's a bit punky um, it's got a great, you know, another great guitar riff going through it. And it's got a single on chorus, of fist in the air, anthem. Yep, another good one, another cracker.
0: Yeah, this is the closest they get, I think, to a traditional. It, it's it, it, it's very driving, but it's it's much more straightforward. It's not as complex as, as the other stuff on, on the album. Uh, still like the, there's a lovely drum and guitar break in the middle. Um, and there's a bit where you got the guitar solo, crash, the guitar chords crashing in between your ears, which is always fun. listening to this on, on headphones. Yeah, it. it, it I would say it's, it's less, not as strong as it's uh, as others on the album, just because it's more straightforward.
2: Yeah, in terms of pace, it, it's 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 like it could be you, isn't it? And the other thing about this is it's um the way it finishes. It's almost like it's it's the sort of thing that's come off wheels of steel. You know, it's that kind of motorcycle man drive, you know. It's yep. um their stuff generally on this album was a bit more sophisticated than this. I still
1: love it. It's probably the one true Nwabum track on the album, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So Rocks off gives way to It Don't Matter, um, which is a, a song I mean, I love it. Don't get there is no song on this album that has scored a low a low mark from it. But probably this is the point in the album that I'm less bothered about. I still like it, still think it's a great tune. For me, it, it, it doesn't quite sort of, it's not a statement like the others were, but Richard, sense you're about to disagree with me.
0: Yeah, I, I think in terms of the variety, I mean, this this is kind of Iron Maiden meets UFO. It, it's it got a, this sort of wonderful groove to it. Starts off almost maiden in style and then almost goes, I don't know, Southern blues. So again, for the, um, Full of surprises, this, this album. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I personally, I, I i prefer it to the previous track.
1: So the penultimate track on the album is a little number called Answer to the Master. Just different again and quite introspective and it's got this lovely little circular riff through it, hasn't it? It just keeps coming back and replaying. And I think Joe Elliott is as good on this track as he is on any of the album actually
2: what i find really fascinating is you've just had wasted and rocks off and at no stage after hearing those two could you have forecast the subsequent three because I'm, I'm i'm with rich it doesn't it don't matter It's different very different like that groove in it answer to the master is different again there's a bit of zepp in there a bit of ufo a little bit of early priest in that sort of experimental bit a little bit it's a cocktail and um you know after the wall of riffs it's different and i'm I like it. Yeah, it's, it's
1: it's interesting. A bit more challenging, perhaps. OK, so the final album, the album plays out with um, a track called Overture, which is in the fine tradition of hard rock and heavy metal. is a slower, more thoughtful, again, part ballad, but they can't quite help themselves <laughs> towards the end of it. They can't quite stop themselves from just let, letting loose... You know, Willis and Clark together egging each other on, um, it's a brilliant way to end, end the album, in my view, absolutely fantastic way to end the album.
2: It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? You always, you always thought if you look back at this thing selectively, you always think that the idea of the new British heavy metal was to get rid of tracks like this, just to do your three four minute punches, they couldn't the, the, the ghost of Stargazer and things like that, it's just, it's just in their blood, isn't it? They, they need to do the um, they need to do yeah, you know, for want of a better word, the epic, and they all didn't. And um, yeah, I think this is. Uh, I just think this is brilliant, fusing, God knows how many styles. And it's um, yeah, it can run and run. It is close to an epic,
0: definitely. Malovic is mean, atmospheric, It gallops along. It's brilliantly arranged. Um, you know, it's got a wah wah guitar, guitar solo in it. I mean, what more do you want?
2: But it's also the name of the track, isn't it? I mean, that's supposed to go first, isn't it? So it's almost like an yes. introduction to yeah, you know, what's coming next.
1: So there we go. In a nutshell, that is Def Leppard's debut album on through the night. Uh, gentlemen, highs and highs. It's
2: true. I'm glad you said that because, yeah, theoretically, there has to be a, 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 a song at the bottom of my listing, and that song is Satellite, and it's a good song. Um, and my favourite song, yeah, it will always be Wasted.
0: Richard? Rocks off f- for me is the one that's scored not as high as the others. And for the top marks, it's between over two hey, here Sorrow. we go. Sorrow is a woman. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, I guess, well, of course, so hard to split them, you know. Uh, <laughs> Sorrow is a woman.
1: Okay. Uh, so uh, my low, which is a really high low, is uh uh it don't matter and my high i I think it has always been when the walls came tumbling down i I just i just love it i love i love the composition of it i love the structure i love the way it kind of moves and flows and kind of goes out as well so um yeah there we are that um i'm pleased you you guys liked it as well maybe not as quite as much as i do we'll find out later but um I, I think this is an absolute gem and i think it's it's one that people forget about and uh, it's good to have it on the pod it's good to have it on the pod but um we must move on and we fast forward just five short years to a band that that never really took off if you'll excuse the pun um mm-hmm. in quite the way that perhaps they did once they split up and changed their name and became something else um but Richard's now going to take us back to Warwick University and uh, his uni days, and Mr. Daniel Bose. Richard, it is, it is Terraplane's black and white.
0: Opening album sleeve notes. Is this Thunder's calling card really, honestly, disgusting? So, yeah, Terraplane. Uh, I bought this album and then saw them in, uh, at Warwick University where I was studying at the time. I think they'd just come off a supporting I think it was ZZ Top on a tour uh, and uh, played an absolute cracker of a set and I also had the opportunity to meet them and interview them uh, for the radio station which was great great fun. So yeah Terraplane they um, Danny Bose and Luke Morley they met aged 11 in 1975 uh, at an interview for a grammar school then went to the school together, started to play music, and in the late 70s formed a, a band called Nothing Fancy. Uh, Nick Linden and Harry James uh, then also joined on, on bass and uh, and drums. And shortly after that, they uh, formed Terraplane, named called themselves after this uh, this car called a, a Terraplane. And things started to go extra well for them when they played the Reading Festival in 19, uh, 1982. Uh, they they released a single, uh, I'm the one, which appears on the album, and as a result of that, were signed up by Epic for this debut album, which is called Black and White. Very little information on the album and the band uh, on 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 the internet, so I think the album was uh, recorded some time in 1985 and and released uh, later that year. Uh, it was on the Epic label. Uh, about 45 minutes or so in length, produced by Liam Henschel and recorded in oh, a whole load of studios uh, all over the UK. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, it, in terms of who was in it, so Danny Bowes, Daniel Bowes on vocals, Luke Morley on guitar, and Lyndon on bass, plus piano and keyboard stuff. Uh, Gary Harry James on drums, and Rudy Riviere on guitar uh, on a track or two. It it was pretty popular. I mean, it it did actually, I read, get 5Ks from Kerrang! magazine. Obviously, they rated it very highly as these bright young things uh, coming up. Um, I mean, I think my choice this week, uh, a sandwich between you know, one absolute belter we've already reviewed and another brilliant one uh, in, in in Tesla uh, coming up. Uh, but I, I, it was lovely going back and playing this again because I played it all the time back in 85, 86. I mean, again, like the Death Leopard album, it's pretty raw um, and the production's okay. There's some stuff on it that isn't great, but for me, some real highlights and one or two tracks... As Mark said earlier, I can remember all the words, and then one or two tracks they came on, and I had goosebumps. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's just one of those albums uh, for me. Uh, so it's been been really enjoyable listening to it again. How, how did you guys get on?
2: It's, it's fascinating, fascinating, um, it's a really interesting album. First things first, they played Reading in 1982. Did you did you clock that on the yeah. um, on on the, the Sunday? on the same bill as Y&T, uh, Marillion, and, and Michael Schenken. So this that's three years before this, and this is their debut album. So someone knew something um, about this band, clearly. The, the one quote I did read about this was from Luke Morley. He said, and apparently with a straight face, that he believed this album would yield as many hit singles as Blondie's Parallel Lines. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Listen, this is a really interesting album, and it's not a bad one, and it's not the first time, Richard, that you've served up something that I, hand on her, i would never heard before. And this had passed me by. So I didn't know the Thunder link. And I'm, I, I wouldn't claim in any way to be a big Thunder fan, but I didn't know that, you know, Terraplane were effectively the kind of nursery slope um, down which Thunder would come later. But I don't think this is a Thunder album at all. I mean, the, the connections are obvious. You know, Danny Bose's voice, Luke Morley's guitar tuned up a certain way, but they were, they were far more bluesy. And, and um, from what this is, MOR. Yeah, this is this is almost a pop album with rock elements to it, and but, but enough rock elements to make you think, yeah, that's fine, this is a rock album, because um, that's not a criticism. It's an observation. And within what is quite a simply structured framework, and all these songs are quite simply structured in terms of what they've got, there's a whole array of different tunes and melodies that are so catchy. They don't all work, and, and one or two tracks kind of just... Well, they're not going where I think they're going to go, and that disappoints me. And they are quite sort of obtuse. Um, But Overall, I really like this album. It's not going to catch the the scores that the previous album uh, got. That's kind of obvious. I think this has got a nice summer feel to it, and I could play this in the summer with the the roof off my car, if I had a car with a roof that came off, which I don't. But if I did, I'd play it.
1: I'm with Steve. I've... I didn't know this album at all. I'd never heard it. I, I've never heard a single note off this album um, until this last week. It is, yeah, you know, I know the other two albums like the back of my hand. Um, so I've spent most of my week with this one, and and I've really enjoyed it. And it's grown on me. I, the first time I listened to it, I thought, oh god, that's a bit bloody anodyne and a bit bland. Um, but actually, the more you listen to it, and you you kind of and you listen to it a bit more forensically. I, I think it's a really good, honest album as a debut album. I think it's it's it's, it's great. I think I, I have a couple of issues with it. I think one issue is that, and I, this might be around, a lot of this I think is possibly around the production, which I think is a bit thin. But a lot of it feels quite samey. So I, I struggled to begin with certainly differentiating between the tracks. If you'd said to me, if you give me a title of one of the tracks I wouldn't have been able to tell you where on the album it was because it all sort of mushed into one and it took a while to kind of sort that out and I think I think the only the other criticism I'd have of it is it just lacks a bit of attack and I'm not talking about heaviness and I'm not talking about riffs and guitars. I'm just talking about they just need a bit a bit more oomph in the delivery I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah Danny Bose can sing anything. He can sing absolutely anything he's got a fantastic yeah. Uh, and I, I really like Thunder. And, you know, you, you, I think that point you made, Richard, about is this really Thunder's debut album? I think probably, yes, it is. You know, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, I probably agree with it. And the, the, the third thing I'd say, and this will be the last negative thing I'd say, because everything else I think is positive about it. You remember when we, way, way back when episode five, we, we reviewed Vixen, the Vixen debut? And the, I made the point that, that Vixen spent ten tracks being victims. You know, everything had gone wrong for them. Um, they were being abused, and yeah. And I get the same feeling with this poor old Danny. I mean, yeah, fucking <laughs> Somebody love this man, please, because clearly, clearly he's feeling it. I mean, to the point where the sign-off track is effectively him saying, "I don't give a fuck about love," because. Um, <laughs> uh, I've chosen. I've chosen not to be in love because I can't handle the tears. Um, and and there is that kind of. You just. I did spend. I was decorating all weekend, and I had it on in the lounge, played through a really nice sound system. But there were points where I was just going, "Fucking hell, Danny, get a grip, mate." You know. <laughs> but but I've really enjoyed it. I think it's 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 a lovely, and I agree with you, Steve. It's a light, airy summer summer sound,
0: definitely. Okay. Great. Okay, well, let's give it a listen. Right, so there are 11 tracks on the album. Uh, Don't Walk Away, When You're Hot, I Can Live Without Your Love, Talking To Myself, You Can't Hurt Me Anymore, I Survive, Right Between The Eyes, Black and White, I'm The One, Get Your Face Out Of My Dream, and Couldn't Handle The Tears. So, yeah, it all starts off with Don't Walk Away. I think, again, pretty call- calling card for them, really. Danny's vocals right up front, big, catchy sing-along chorus, nice chugging groove. Uh, it's light, it's airy, and I, I fell in love with this album when I put this on for the first song.
1: It's, it's the use in the harmonies as well, isn't it? It's, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're really selling those harmonies.
2: <laughs> also, am I the only one during the chorus, am I the only one who thinks he sounds like a Noddy Holder?
1: i would have to wait for the chorus to come back to, to give I you a so,
2: view, I, right? so. I like this track a lot because it's kind of got that um you've got a kind of punky opening you know with the opening few bars then it goes into something a little bit proggy yeah it's not groundbreaking but uh, nor are they i think it's a really really good start to the album i really
0: do when he's stretching a bit it is, it is a bit noddy holder i is, guess yeah
1: yeah it is a bit naughty yeah no i like this is a good opening good solid start
0: so uh, that's followed by uh, when you're hot as track two which i mean i get steve's point earlier I mean, as a you know quite poppy and this is a very poppy track too terraplane only, only did one more album after this because epic did want to push them down the much more poppy route but by then uh, danny bows and uh, And and Luke had seen the light and uh, just decided, no, no, we want to be a heavy metal band, a hard rock band. Thank you very much. So yeah, but when you're hot, uh, it it it's an okay track two for me. I mean, I think it's a bit light. Doesn't really push the album on um, that way a track two does for me.
2: I quite quite like it. It's almost a guilty a guilty pleasure. I know I shouldn't like it, but I do. It's it's almost like it's like a collision of ELO and Stevie Wonder. He does sound like Stevie Wonder when he's singing it. I really love the flow of this. It's so catchy and kind of cool. It is poppy, yeah, it is, and therefore I shouldn't really like it. But lovely outro as well. Lovely, that's the word. It is.
1: Bit of Queen in it as well. Yeah. Bit of Queen. In
2: it. Yeah. Kind of El Dorado era. E L O. That's what I thought. But you know,
1: <laughs> I think I'm. I, I think I'm more with Richard than I am with you. I, I think it's it's kind of that side of the
0: line rather than
1: that side. Yeah, yeah,
0: okay, okay. Okay, but it's followed, oh my goodness, here we go, with the first single off of the album, uh, which is I Can't Live Without Your Love. And when I stuck this on again uh, about a week ago, this came on and I got goosebumps. (laughs) It's, It's just one of those tracks for me that, that sort of fast staccatos. there's a fast staccato synth that's going up and down uh then on top of that some really big chords and again one thing they were really good at on this album was the the singing the, the sing-along both i mean with this one both the the verse but then the chorus is just a soaring soaring chorus still my favorite track off this album i think it's brilliant
2: yeah Goodie, it is a goodie, uh, not my favorite, but um, it's kind of like a Baber O'Reilly opening, isn't it? That um, yes, that kind yes. of funny synth thing. Is, he, is, is there some scratching going I, I'm no DJ, is there some scratching going on in this later on, or is it just my Spotify playlist? There's something going on, definitely.
0: Yeah, there's yeah, there's a bit in the, the it's a break, isn't there, before the final piece, that's where it. it it, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It does sound like that. I don't know whether it
2: is or not, but it, it's certainly impressive yeah. it is Great song.
1: There, there are a couple of tracks, actually, on this where there are some odd production motifs in it. There's there's one where harmonies crash into each other at the end of the song. I can't remember which is, pointing out when it comes round. But no, I'm, I, I, I think this is great. You, you can't not like this. It's not my favourite track on the album, actually, but it's very close.
0: OK, so we move on to track four, which is a track called Talking to Myself. And, uh, yeah, this would be the point at which Mark could start shouting at uh, Danny Bowes, telling him to cheer up. So, yeah, the first ballad, uh, it, it's a fairly traditional ballad start, isn't it, vocals and piano. Uh, but then a nice build into the verse and another one into the chorus. I, I, there's not much else to say from my point of view. It's a fairly traditional rock ballad hands in the air sing along
2: it's only it's only a, it's only a traditional rock ballad if your names gilbert o'sullivan
1: funny uh, funny that steve because i'm getting barry manilow which is <laughs> which is absolutely fine when it's barry manilow <laughs> yeah that's right
2: yeah no it's not good he sounds a bit um do you know who played the piano on this by the way i'm presuming nick linden did Nope. no it's a guy by the name of scott davidson who went on to play the piano for Bros, and went on later to become the chairman of Bristol City Football Club.
1: How about did, that? Well, some interesting uh, career choices. No, for, yeah. for me, I have to say that, that in the context of the album, this is this this for me is is not a great moment.
0: Okay. Yeah, it gets going eventually. It gets going eventually. Yeah. Right. So let's leave talking to myself behind. Uh, and move on to track five, which is You Can't Hurt Me Anymore. This track closes side one of the album. It's I really like the way how this builds. Um, nice drums, guitar, um, and I would say here, really good illustration of, of Nick Linden's bass play huh? and the bass line uh, through, through this album, uh, through, sorry, through this track is really, really good.
2: Yeah, it's almost it's almost dancing along, isn't it? It's, it's a nice it's a nice dollop of AOR. This get, it just gets a wee bit congested, um, but I I, I I love that melody running through this, and the, the melodies on this whole album are, are um, ever so commendable. Um, yeah, there's, there's a little guitar solo isn't there, and then back into the tune, and a big finish. I say big as big as they get. It's hardly a wall of noise, but it's um yeah it's uh, I like this song.
1: Yeah, I tell you the one thing that this band, whether Terraplane or Thunder, have always been really good at is telling a story. And and this tells a story. And I think it's you know that that's where their strength lies lyrically, I think. And um, yeah. I I feel I feel about this track, the way I did about don't walk away and um, can't live without your love. I think it's just it's good. It's good, solid, enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, trademark Danny Bowes, Luke Morley song. Mm.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's flip it over then. We'll uh, get on to, to side two. And side two starts with a song that was, they released as a single well ahead of the album. Uh, they'd released it in, in 1983. And this is a track called I Survive. Um, I think... I, I've written here a couple of words that, it, it you know, was released early and it shows. I, I feel actually the, the maturity of the songwriting on a lot of the other songs on the album is, is a lot stronger uh, than this. It's a fairly formulaic, uh, yeah, well, just really a rock track, not even a hard rock track, is it? The vocal harmonies, again, are quite nice. Um, there are some riffs in there, but they don't really stand out. I mean, again, production-wise, they're, they're not particularly up in the mix, it very much is dominated by by Danny Boy singing, which is perfectly fine, uh, but it, not a fantastic start to the second time.
2: Meeting of Minds, Meeting of Minds, I've called it flabby, and, I've, and
0: and the choruses are just a
2: little
1: bit lazy. I'm not bothered about it at all. Yeah, there is a bit of an identity crisis going on in this album.
0: Yeah, I don't know, but, but because there was there was this tug of war going on with Epic, because Epic thought they were getting a pop band with a bit of rock not a rock band with a bit of pop uh, and I, I wonder if you see that tug of war going on on this album then the next album was much more poppy and, and, and at that point Danny Bowes and Luke Morley thought no no we know what we want to do now and um, and they, they 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 ran and and, and formed thunder. It's
2: it's one of one of the expressions you use more than most on this podcast mark is, you wouldn't lift the needle on that one, would you? I actually would lift the needle on this one. And also, stop saying it and just tell us which ones you would lift the needle off. That's what I want to know. I want to know the tracks you would lift the needle off. That's (laughs) your challenge going forward.
0: The problem with lifting the needle on track one, side two, is you're not going to listen to much of side two, are you? (laughs) It's
1: true. It's true.
0: So uh, I guess what you'd actually do is just lift it a little bit, move it on to track 7 which is right between the eyes and this starts off with a and I can't remember what song it is but it starts off with this is boom bum boom boom, oh boom. What, what, what song is it what song is it it's I'm
2: glad it's been frustrating you too as
0: well, well it's not baby love it, it, it's a, it's a it's a it's a motown or a soul song it's a 60s song anyway there's this this nice bass line. Um and it's i think it's probably the happiest song on the album it's about walking into a bar and seeing an absolutely drop dead gorgeous girl and having a drink and, and and falling in love and da 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 uh yeah nice guitar really really catchy chorus again it and and this one it, it really lifts and lifts and lifts all the way through to the chorus so uh yeah good fun it's Mon- nice
2: it's it, 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 it's catchy, it is catchy, but you know what? I, I've reached the point on the album now where I'm just crying out for some whammy bar or just something to crank up, you know, just turn that amp up, just get some... I want this to be heavy-fied, if that's a word, and I don't think it is. I just want a bit of screaming guitar, and I know I ain't going to get it. But, yeah, so this is okay.
1: <laughs> this this is my favourite track on the album, funnily enough. And, and the reason is, it's because it's got... I see this as a sort of a companion piece to to the title track of Backstreet Symphony. Walks into the bar. There's the girl. You know, I, I just it puts me in mind of Thunder, and um, I think it's it's really good. The bit I don't understand is why his opening gambit is, "If I ever have the pleasure of your company, not I'll treat you well. or No, I won't lie to you." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's what's gonna happen. You go out. I'm not going to lie to you. And if I'm the girl, I'm thinking, why would you fucking open up with that then? What's that saying? No, this has been in my ear and my head all week. I love this song. Wow.
0: Yeah. I I think what you're both saying about production and I mean, Backstreet Symphony, I think it would be fascinating to hear this album with the production of Backstreet Symphony, which has got so much more body to it. But there we go. Um, Okay, let's move on to track eight, which is the title track of the album, Black and White. Well, an album actually, I'm glad they changed the title of this album because it was originally going to be called Talking to God Down the Great White Telephone. I don't think that would have sold them many pieces of plastic. So they changed it to Black and White and uh, this is the track, track eight, uh, the title track. Probably uh, the heaviest track on the album, certainly he- heavier drums, heavier bass driven star. Danny Bose is almost sounding a little bit angry on this.
1: It's good riff, very good riff. I'm um, horribly let down by the chorus for me, I'm afraid. Yeah, but um, yeah, very good.
2: And it loses, and it loses its way a bit as well. I yeah. think. Yeah, it starts off, starts off kind of quite Roxy music and finishes all a bit basically rollers. It starts really well, and that's about the best thing I can say of this.
0: Yeah, yeah. For me, there's the, the, we're sort of going through the the weaker phase of of the album because uh, that's followed by uh, track nine, which is uh, I'm the One, which, well, we've got a bit of funky drumming going on. We've got some na na nas and we've got Jules Holland, who they managed to rope in to play on organ. So uh, this is really at the poppy end of, of, of where, where they're at, and it, it's fairly forgettable for me.
1: Well, Roxette have turned up, haven't they? yes mm. it is, <laughs> um, it is. It, i mean it's straight out of the rock set you know how to write a songbook um and at the beginning i'm uh, in the chorus i'm getting i'm getting the greatest showman as well so it's kind of rock set meets the greatest showman um mm-hmm. and I, I i don't mind this i think it's yeah it's it's okay. all right it's so. um, this was the
2: debut single wasn't mm-hmm. it um, which they they put this out they put this out previously on um, City Records on the independent City Records and that's how Epic caught sight of them and then based on this you can understand perhaps why Epic thought they were a pop band trying to do rock yeah I'm not I'm not that bothered about this and Jules Holland Jules Holland doesn't rescue it if it even is supposed to
0: okay so we've got two tracks to go on Terraplanes, Planes. Black and white, the penultimate track of the album is Get to Your Face Out of My Dream. Uh so it starts very pleasantly, I think, with a nice lovely guitar scale and then a sort of a fairly synth-driven beat. But I, I find again this not doesn't really go anywhere. And I mean Danny Bose is really, really trying with the vocal. I mean, really putting everything into it, and it's almost as if through his vocal he's he's trying to lift this song. Onto a, another level, uh, but uh, doesn't quite get there.
2: No, this this track does go somewhere, Richard, but it's not where you or I wanted it to. That's that's the problem, and it's um there's two or three tracks like that which just kind of go where they shouldn't, really. And this is a classic case because again, it starts well, all the promises there, and before you know it, it's like a balloon that's just sort of popped. Bit deflating, really.
1: Just refer you back to the comment I made at, at the start of this review which is the album lacks attack mm-hmm. yeah if they attack this in a different way it's a different song isn't it and they don't it's all just steve says it just deflates suddenly so yeah and i think you know the scores that i've got for the whole album really for me highlights how inconsistent it is because there are some highs and then you get stuff where it just kind of drops off and you just and it's frustrating. It's frustrating because you can hear what it could have been yeah. and rather than, you know, if it was a bad album, you just go, that's a bad album. And you, you move on. But you actually feel quite resentful of the fact that it could have been so much better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As we, we'll, let's move on to the final track of the album, which is uh, Couldn't Handle the Tears, which, again, I think suffers a bit from confusion as to what kind of track it's trying to be. And back to our Lift the Needle uh, comment, one of the issues I've got with this track, I mean, it starts off with some really nice strings, some lovely orchestration. Danny Bo's voice sounds really, really good. But then that orchestrated bit just goes on far too long. And I don't know if you two ever got to this point where actually you think about skipping it, assuming that's what the whole song was going to be like. But then after about two and a half minutes, it suddenly becomes this Big rock, soul, orchestral—you know—huge piece. Ruby Turner on vocals, and, and it, it, the second half, I really enjoy as a as an album finisher. It got
1: to this point every listen, I'm thinking, okay, let's just get through this two and a half minutes, and then it will be all right. You know what I mean? And um, and it's it's a it's a shame. It's a shame. It's I think it's their it's their naivety because it, it's somebody. Whether it's the producer, whether it's the band, or whether it's all of them, it's they're not listening back to this and going, "Do you know what that doesn't work? Let's just have the the bit at the end with Ruby Turner."
2: All the builds, all the builds in the previous tracks have been short and sweet. You know, for better or worse, that's what they've been. And where this one needed that, it didn't have it. And I love a gospel choir, me. So I was I was delighted when that bowled up.
0: Okay, so um, let's have some highs and lows from you, Mark. So
1: my, my low is couldn't handle the tears. I think it's a massive missed opportunity, really. And um, Ruby Turner, sadly, doesn't save it for me. Does gets close, but doesn't quite pull it off. As I said, right, right between the eyes uh, is my high point.
2: Well, my low is um, I Survive, which I don't really like at all. I've got three on the same score, and I'm going to give it to um, I Can't Live Without Your Love.
0: Okay, well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm with you on that winner. Uh, I can't over that, your love. And the low for me is probably between I'm the one and Get Your face Out of My Dream. Both have got the same score. Um, oh, I don't know, I'm I'm the one probably. Just to, yeah, as Mark says, a bit too rock set for a rock album. Right, so there we have it. Uh, Second of our albums on our wheels of steel, UFOs accepted uh, journey through rock. And uh, we move now, I think, just one more year into the future uh, and cross over to the United States and an album by Tesla, which Steve is going to introduce this brilliant album called Mechanical Resonance.
1: Opening album Sleeve Notes.
2: It's kind of... So this is kind of like a a hard rock sandwich, this episode, isn't it? Because you've had that kind of little interesting, tasty, sometimes cheesy filling placed between two slices of whopping great fucking Hovis rock. That's what we are. That's where we are with um, Mechanical Resonance by Tesla, which is... which is a, a really, really... Great piece of work from um, a band who, I'll say it, they were out of time. They were out of time. They didn't do anything better than this. They only did three great albums. Well, two really great albums. The third one was pretty good, and that was it. Um, This is their debut. Californian rockers from Sacramento, so kind of small town California. I say small town. It's probably a city with about 20 million people. It's not LA, and it's not San Francisco or Cisco. Um, and it's formed in 81, but definitely, definitely with the 70s in their souls. They were called Earthshaker, then City Kid, originally quite glam, um, changed both elements. That's the name and the style. And so by 86, went into the studio to give the world mechanical resonance. They're um, very well constructed, seriously well played and generally very well received. Uh, debut album december 8th 1986 it was released recorded earlier that year at bearsville studios in upstate new york on the geffen label um so they weren't messing with their opener 53 minutes long produced by a guy called steve thompson who had michael barbiero as his engineer to kind of get co-production credits because they did a lot of work together um the personnel um is the famous five Jeff Keith on vocals, Frank Hannan and Tommy Schiotsch on guitars, Brian Wheat on bass, and Troy Leketa on drums and percussion. Charted well um, in the States, got to 32, um, and is multi-platinum over there. It's a 12-tracker, um, and I don't tend to like 12-trackers, but I do like this one a lot, and it's 53 minutes long, um, and it's every every minute of those 53 are minutes well spent. Um, Do you know what? I think they're a funny band, Tesla. I do. In an age when you, this is 1986, you had to be kind of glam. And if you weren't glam, you had to be thrash. You had to be kind of one or the other at this stage. Or if you were neither of those, then you were chasing the MTV dream, you know, going commercial, being corralled down that kind of synth roots, pop rock um, avenue. And Tesla were none of that. They were absolutely none of that. They were just a good, almost old-fashioned hard rock band. Um, it's like they almost snuck under the barbed wire. Mechanical resonance. Now, it's not exceptional, but it really is, for a debut album, it really is very, very good. So like uh, The Great Radio Controversy and Psychotic Supper, which were the two after it, loads of good stuff to listen to. Certainly the album is very refreshing. I still feel, and I still feel to this day, that they had a better album in them somewhere that never actually happened. And I love this, and I love radio, and I love Supper. And I still think we never quite heard the best of that I do. That's just what I think. They're an honest to goodness blue-collar rock um, band, bunch of lads who just played their instruments. They didn't have a look particularly. They, they didn't have a, an identity. They didn't have any gimmicks. There was no sort of there was no sort of diversions and distractions. No sort of peripheral, just sort of rubbish going on in the background. They were just a straight-ahead rock band who just I defy anyone. Um, to dislike them, I do. Um, but the word, I, the, the word I always think of when I hear when I hear Tesla when I listen to any Tesla around, I almost think you know, they almost nailed it. And I and I love this, and I love radio, and I love supper, But I just think I still think there was more to come. I don't know about what you boys think. It's a great album. It's a great album, Richard.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say about Tesla being a straight-ahead rock band. I don't think they are. I th- I think they're pretty unique. You know, they're with their, their influences and the styles, the way they put the songs together. I mean, as you two know, I'm a massive Queensryche fan. But I think Tesla were doing Queensryche-style hard rock four or so years before Queensryche were doing it. And, uh, yeah, I think this is a superb album. Really enjoyed listening to it. Again, it, it, it's, yeah, it's pretty consistent and it's got some absolute crackers on it uh, but in terms of their style uh, i'm so glad it looked like geffen didn't try and homogenize them into you know the uh, the other bands and, and to sound like anyone else because they are very different
1: mark i remember buying this album the, the the press had gone crazy for tesla absolutely crazy for them. everyone was talking about this album before it came out um i went and bought it and it genuinely i found it genuinely surprising refreshing frustrating because and i've said this a lot over the weeks that we've done this when this album came out i was 21 and all i really wanted was good riffs that was what i that was what i was into i just wanted a good riff i wanted a good hook line yeah uh, and i wanted uh, yeah an anthemic song you know, if they'd done that 12 times, 11 times, whatever, absolutely fine. And then you don't get that with the test so What you get is uh, an ex- experimental and experiential journey. And I think you're absolutely right, Steve. I think they're a band completely out of time. How, how confident in your own ability as musicians do you have to be to come up with an album like this as your debut? Because there's nothing predictable about it there's loads of experimentation on it if if it was an exercise in winning a fan base through delivering what say poison delivered with look what the cat dragged in which was to do cry tough times 10 then they're not ticking that box this is completely different all the way through there are some tracks on here that I think are just exceptional just just transcend excellence and there's on here that i don't like quite as much but i like the whole album and i think i think the one thing that i would say about tesla is they were very lucky to have a gentleman named tommy skiotch because his guitar Mm. is absolutely astonishing so it's very interesting that i actually
2: the album starts with a track called easy come easy go which i think should be swapped with the second track which is coming at you live personally i'll just get that out there straight in the open i think they've got and we're very good the three of us at rearranging bands albums so i've just done it again coming at you live you've come before easy come easy go that said easy come easy go is the first album the first track of the first album kicks off with a bit of funky bass into a guitar drive almost it's all a bit sort of distorted there's a lot of that on it um and then the riff kicks in It's a great song. There's no two ways about it. What's interesting about it is the track is only three minutes 33 long, and we do not get a chorus until over two minutes in, which is interesting. Anyway, it's a short, sharp intro um, into what this band can do. And on first listening, I do remember saying, I'm really looking forward to the rest of this. And sitting here listening to it now, I'm looking forward to the rest of it again. And this is 35 years later.
0: I think it's a perfect opener. you don't know where it's gonna go, the scratchy guitars, the bass start, and then and then pow, it just takes off with with the, the riff. And, uh, and as, as you say, I, I think in terms of the guitar work, I'm, I, I'm not a guitarist, I wouldn't know, but I think some of the chord sort of sequences that Hannon and Skirch are coming up with, uh, that's, there is a Tesla sound to the guitars and, and, and it whacks you in the face. And 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 it works in the race because it starts off quiet and then it goes quiet again and it takes off again and I think it really represents what they were trying to do.
2: Track two, side one, which is uh, coming at your live, as I say, kicks off with a. It's almost an Eddie Van Halen like guitar solo to start it, and then um, just kicks off into kicks off into something big, and they just nail it, and they just take that opening. If you take that opening solo off um last well, you could even leave it on it would it could open the album anyway um that's what i think i just think this is this is a phenomenal track and i still don't know where this is going either as the solo goes on as you say rich about easy come easy go you don't quite know whoa, 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 whoa where are we going with these boys and i still feel that with coming at you live and then it kicks in and oh bang you're away
0: yeah superb backline, isn't it i would say that I wish they didn't do all so much whittling at the start of it because I prefer to have more of the stuff that followed.
2: Track three is uh, Getting Better, which is now. So welcome to the world of Tesla because they're all over the place and this is classic. This is not an unusual style of song for Tesla. It's it's moody, um, it's gentle, it goes into massive, it comes away from massive. There's, uh, There's a boppy beat in there, again, the back line. Ever so simple these soft hard epics were, were something of a speciality for them over the certainly in the first three albums and it's interesting that for the first time after the first two tracks where jeff keith's just on the stretch as he is generally anyway you get getting to hear him sing and and um hannon frank han calls him the best rock singer after stephen tyler says he's got one of a kind voice and i'm not entirely sure about that I, I do like jeff keith's voice but not everyone does
1: I, i've never felt that it's polarizing his voice his, uh, no I, bother me i just uh, I, I can see why some people might not like it because he is always kind of around yeah. about the top of his range and all of the delivery is up there but he uh, we've said this before he's absolutely right for this band and this is yeah. a really good track this is welcome to the world of tester this is completely unpredictable you have no idea where it's going to go next it's got this lovely chorus on it and this is an interesting track that i didn't much like when the album first came out because and i refer uh-huh. you back to my original comment it wasn't just a really hooky riffy song
2: that's interesting keith actually struggled early on as a vocalist and he wasn't a certainty to stay with the band in the early 80s so he he had points to prove and you know he, 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 he couldn't do it live quite so much. But anyway, he did, and he could. And, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's right for the band,
0: certainly. Um, Richard? I love the song of two halves. Uh, I th- I, I've always loved it. Uh, I love the, the quiet beginning, and then it's almost a Black Crows esque just, you know, just a real swagger to the second half, real feel-good. And, of course, you'll, you two will have noticed... That the main riff in the second half has alternate bars of uh, of seven four and, and eight four. Yeah, if you notice yeah. that. Yeah, very good, very good, excellent. Glad you noticed that. But yeah, so, so there's a misbeat. So yeah, the, da, 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 da da da
1: To be honest, I thought it was so obvious I wasn't going to mention it. But okay, getting better
2: goes into too late for love. Now this is just what... It, now I'm not in love with. Too Late for Love. I find it all a little bit ponderous. And Tesla uh, never did ponderous, even when they went moody and soft. But I, I, this one does a little bit. Brian Wee always said they were um, they, they were very proud of the song, but he hated the fact that the finished product was drenched in reverb. The reverb was louder than the drums, he said. And there's a hell of a lot on that. It is overproduced, this thing. But hey, so much was at the time.
0: That's really interesting what you say. I, I love this. Uh, and I've written here, this is what Tesla are all about.
2: Yeah, well, no, I get that. It's
0: got harmony, it's got melody, and it's got power. And they just do this so well.
2: I think there's better illustrations of it.
1: I, I really like it. I don't agree it's labour, but I understand why you think it is. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: I don't. I don't know what you're on about at all. <laughs> a slower tempo. Slightly slower tempo.
1: No, not laboured in the sense of it's it's plodding. It's not like Kashmir for fuck's sake. It's what I'm saying is it's. I think the comp- the comp- the structure is quite laboured.
0: Have to disagree with you. Corker of a track.
2: Well, if you want corkers, just let's let's just move on. One to uh, to rock me to the top, and without wishing to sound super dancy, because the first track that's been spelled properly, and we've had to get to track five for that, which is you know there you go. Um, this is the album's first real big ticket song, and this takes this to a different level, in my opinion. It's rock and roll, very rock and roll, but with a real nastiness. A, there's a great bridge into an absolutely magnificent chant along chorus. It's proper, balls to the
1: wall, rock and roll. I think it's brilliant. I'm in my Capri. It comes on, it's got riffs, it's got a fantastic hook line. It's an anthem. I'm in seventh heaven at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 21 years old. For a long time, this was my favorite track on the album. It's it's an absolute nailed-on, you know, high scoring track. It's it's everything that I wanted when I was 21.
0: It's more straightforward. Yeah. than the, the all the tracks that have preceded, isn't it? it's got a really good chugging riff. It's almost, I don't know, a bit deaf leopardy in the chorus.
1: What? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it is. No. And um, I think the drums, I mean, Troy Liketo, we haven't mentioned him yet, I think he's, he's a really, really good drummer, and his drumming on this track is superb.
1: Well, it's a standard const- structure, isn't it? It's it's first chorus, first chorus, lead guitar solo, first chorus. Yeah, that's, that's a heavy metal song
2: in the end. That's why I love it. It's straightforward. It's just, <laughs> I don't have to overthink it. And then we close out the side with uh, We're No Good Together, which is its kind of like one of those almost sort of southern rock sprawlers. Um, again, well, this is Tesla. It's its a two-paced beast, um, three-paced, four-paced, however many paces you want, and it builds and it builds. And, you know, yeah, you can imagine someone like sort of the Marshall Tucker Band doing this. I really like it. I think it's a fantastic song.
1: This is a plodding dirge. It, it, it's Does it awesome. not going on you at all? For me, it doesn't do anything for me So. I- I'm not bothered about this song at all.
0: I think it's a pretty average ballad for all but the last one and a half minutes that then really save it. yeah the, the, end, the, ending, the ending is brilliant and it's cut so've I've almost given this song two marks that are quite wide apart so it's it's ended up with an okay you know, a, a decent score, but it's only because that last one and a half minutes. Really, it really kicks
2: out. It's that, it's the, that couldn't handle the tears moment. I mean, obviously, it's much better, but yeah, it it, it takes a long time to get there to, to, to where you want it to get to. But when it gets there, wow. Yeah, I agree.
1: I'll, I'll give you that. It's different to Kashmir in the sense that it does actually go somewhere, it just takes a bloody long time.
2: Yeah. I think it's a breathtaking finish. I, I just think it's blinding the way it, oh, yeah, it picks up. Brilliant stuff.
0: The ending, as an ending to a side, is cracking. Yeah. So they, they take three and a half minutes to get to it.
2: Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. So let's um, – so anyway, we've not taken the needle off at any point and we've turned it over and we now start with, yeah, as I've, I've made it abundantly clear, it's, it's a 10 out of 10 track. It's always been my favourite Tesla track. This is modern-day cowboy. Um, Their most played live track, Why Wouldn't It Be? And a story about, well, it's a story about conflicts through three ages. The cowboy, the gangster, the fighter pilot. Forget all that. Just suck on the song. It's just an absolute monster. It's just, it's rock perfection. So if Side 1 was full of riffs and and hooks, but also variety, then Side 2 is really diverse, and it just happens to kick off with Something stunning. Go on, just talk about it.
0: I, 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 my first word is colossal. It, 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 it is. This is just huge. And yeah, this is classic Tesla. Those those massive ringing chords. Um, and then it drops and it comes back up again. And it's got the best chorus on the album.
1: Steve said monster. You've written colossal. I've written huge. It's just... This is Tesla. If you want Tesla in one song,
0: this is it. This is it. Just
1: brilliant. Just brilliant. Breathtaking.
0: And I'm glad they didn't open with it. You've got to save this for the middle of the record.
1: No, I'd have opened with it. (laughs) Now
0: I'm with Rich. Now,
2: Now, interestingly, of course, Tesla being Tesla, it then goes into changes, which is also Tesla. I mean... It absolutely is also Tesla because this kicks off with this is this is soulful, it's emotional. So it kicks off with a piano intro, which Colin Towns could have written. Um, it even sounds like Born to Kill, off um, off Gillan's Double Trouble. Yeah, so Jeff Keith, the vocalist in his best light here. There's some there's some moody stuff. There's a big chorus. There's big licks around a and solo. There's the haunting melody. There's soul and spirit and, and they do this so well and then the big finish great track great follow up to modern day cowboy
1: perfect segue isn't it mm-hmm. go from that kind of colossal relentless driven riff and chorus into something that's just completely introspective reflective you said the word haunting yeah. i agree with that as well it's it's as it's almost as good as modern day cowboy but for different reasons mm-hmm. yeah
2: yeah, so much soul, so much angst and pain and passion in in, in Keith's singing as well. Richard, you like it?
0: Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, it's the most atmospheric track on the album. Probably the best arranged. The, the lovely subtleties. It's almost it's almost a bit like that uh, "Won't Get Fooled Again" guitar under the verse, isn't it? That. Yeah. Uh, so the, the use of the guitars is fantastic, and then the way it picks up again. Uh, yeah, brilliant. The,
2: produ- the, the, the production of this is, is in the hands of, as I say, Steve Thompson and Michael Barbiero. And he, he, was, he wasn't a rock producer at all. He'd, he'd done dance and funk and disco. And he said he'd, he was absolutely pining to do a, a rock album. And um, so Geffen got him the gig. Other bigger producers had turned this down. Fascinatingly. Max Norman, Rick Rubin, they backed off, which is really, really interesting. So they almost landed upon Thompson and Barbiero. And even more interesting, as they were offered the chance to produce this album, they were also offered the chance to produce a second rock album simultaneously um, by a band by the name of Guns N' Roses. I think the album went on to be called Appetite for Destruction. And they couldn't do it because they were busy doing this. How fate changes. But anyway, yeah, so that's how they got into this. And so um, uh, the track after changes is called Little Susie. And you think of going the same way again because it's... um, you know, it starts with the uh, a nice gentle sort of guitar intro into it and then kind of acoustic and there's a mandolin in here somewhere. I don't know whether that's in the intro or not. Probably not, but I, I don't know my mandolins from other guitars. Maybe it is. It was the third single off the album. It's a cover um, of a song done by an English band called PHD. Um, and I've no idea how they found it. I've never heard of PHD. I, I do love, I've since gone on and listened to the original, which is brilliant. It's a very new wave. Um, and I think, if I'm right, PhD were on the first ever day of MTV. Maybe that's how they got to, with Little Susie, maybe that's how they got to know about Little Susie. So this doesn't sound anything like their version, which is really good fun. Um, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. It's a long way of saying this is fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, well, I think it's more than fine. I think it's, I think it's really good. Well, I mean, I like it, but once you get heart out of the room and the intro, and yet and Tesla arrive, it it becomes a really good song. I don't mind the any bit at the beginning, but it's not. Yeah, I don't think it adds much. Um, but this this is a good ballsy, you know, stompy, you know, hooky Tesla song. It's absolutely fine.
0: One note I've said is, and then they throw this one in. I mean. It, yeah, the variety in this album is, is fantastic. Mm. Still classic Tesla in terms of the chords and some of the, the, the progressions. But given this was, what, 86 on Geffen,
2: yeah,
0: a year before Permanent Vacation came out, this is Tesla doing Aerosmith better than Aerosmith.
2: Yeah, that's where they wanted to be. That's the kind of thing they wanted to do. Um, so that's the midpoint aside to uh, track nine, uh, track 10 even, is um, Love Me, um, which has got all sorts of lovely little guitar runs all over it. Yeah, this is fun. Uh, Hannon had a digital rack, apparently, for his effects on the guitar. And if there's any point of this track where you think it sounds garbage, then that's exactly the word he himself used. He was really unimpressed with some of the tomfoolery that went mm-hmm. with the uh, than went with the guitar work, but I don't know. I'm not enough of an expert.
1: It's all a bit Brian Adams at this point. It's one of the safer songs. N- nothing wrong with it, but it's it's all a bit it's all a bit Brian Adams.
0: Mm, I suppose yeah. I suppose it could be. I mean, it's, it's a head nodder, head not a foot tapper song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's got a good groove. Uh, it, it, the way it started off. It reminded me a bit of, imagine if Led Zeppelin were transported into 1986 in terms of the guitar riffs. The chorus reminded me more of a kind of a chorus that Kiss would do.
2: Mm. Yeah, I get that. I I think it's Tone. And I also think that it's, um, well, Tone's perhaps overdoing it, but it segues into Cover Queen, which I also, uh, Rich is going to disagree with me, I know, but I actually, I'm not even fussed about this particularly. I just find this really quite, it's kind of ruined rocker. I don't think it quite knows where it's going. That's my view on this. There's all sorts of little bits going on here, and I'm not a massive
0: fan. Disagree with you. I think this right. is more traditional, and it's it's not bad, but it's only okay in the company that it's keeping. Groove's good in it. I really like the groove, but it's not not as stirring and really, you know, it doesn't grab you emotionally like a lot of the other stuff on there.
2: No. It's a, bit, it's a bit funky, isn't it, that groove? But fortunately, Tesla know how to bring the baby home because um, the final track is called Before My Eyes. And, yeah, what, what a finish to the album. Anyone who knows Tesla shouldn't be surprised that, given the options, they decided to go back to a kind of soulful chiller of a ba- almost a soulful chiller of a ballad because, you know, you got all the atmosphere in here. You've got all the passion. You, it's so intense, so enjoyable. And then there's a kind of almost, there's a kind of hippie, sort of drifting, ambient section in the middle. And then the finish. And then it just goes into finishing rock gold. And this is, well, there's three or four tracks like this on this album that are just stunning. I think this is a
1: fantastic track. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant closing track. Uh, it's really proggy, isn't it? Because it just, it, it, it's, as, it's about as proggy as they get. And um, mm. uh, and it's all swirly and psychedelic in places. And yeah, I love this track. I love it.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good finish. I love the soaring chorus. I like the really punchy chords in the verses. I'm not too sure, though, that swirly sound effect bit. I'm not sure how much it adds, but, but the finish is, is great. Yeah. Good
2: finish i just think it's almost like it's I, I i take your point rich it's almost like it's serving a purpose as you know there's a big finish to come and that's that's all it is well they could have done that any other way i guess
1: fair enough but um well you, yeah. you think it's a set up You think it's, a set, it, it's Little essentially bit. All, yeah. just a set up for the end yeah maybe maybe
2: yeah yeah but it's a beautifully emotional finish and um you know yeah you know roll on the radio controversy because that's, that's what you're left feeling. So there you go. That's Tesla's mechanical resonance. Um, and all we need now, boys, is... Oh, that's right, some highs and lows. Um, Richard, what's your high, what's your low? Or even, what's your low, what's your high? I don't mind.
0: Low, despite the brilliant final minute and a half, is not good enough to save. We're no good together. And uh, my high is modern-day cowboy. Okay.
2: Wrong and right. Mark? to say that okay wrong and right and the low is i mean there aren't many lows but um too late for love for me and which is right and the very very high is modern day cowboy so i suggest having listened to and reviewed these three fine pieces of work we put some scores on them and see where they slot into our hall of
0: fame reviews complete Initializing rating process.
1: Okay, so the scores are in uh, from this evening's little sojourn through um, some of the uh, highlights that the 1980s had to offer. Uh, the three albums, uh, just a recap Def Leppard's On Through the Night, Terraplanes Black and White, and Tesla's Mechanical Resonance, all three of them coincidentally. Debut albums released in 80, 85 and 86, respectively. Um, We started off with Def Leppard. And um, Steve, you gave uh, On Through the Night 7.95455. Richard, you gave it 8.18182. And I gave it, unsurprisingly, the highest score of all, 8.41818 to give it an overall average album score of 8.18485, which is a good score. Richard, talk us through Terraplane.
0: Yeah, that's a good score, isn't it? it be interesting to see where that gets in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Terraplane, we were very, very close in our scores, actually, all hovering around the 7 mark. Uh, Steve with a 6.95, Mark, you with a 7.09, and me with a 7.05. And that gave Terraplane's black and white an overall score of 7.03 and a little bit. Steve, what about Tesla's mechanical resonance?
2: Well, that's about a point higher overall than uh, black and white by Terraplane. So, yeah, we gave this a grand total of
1: 8.0333. So let's uh, head over to the Hall of Fame, see where they ended up in the list. Um, it's, been a good week for, uh, well, it's been a good week for all three albums, actually um seven in this context is not bad at all um it's time to put the rock in a hard place opening the hall of fame
0: okay yes so here we are in our hallowed hall of fame where did these three albums get on these walls well we've got 108 albums now that uh, grace these walls and terraplane The last of our three, uh, the the lowest of our three albums tonight have made it in at number 85, so 23 off of the bottom. And then we have to go a long, long way up through the 60s and 50s and 30s, 20s, all the way up to number 18 uh, for Tesla's Mechanical Resonance. They sneak into the top 20 just ahead of Boston's debut and below Crested by Jethro Tull. But we have a new entry into the top 10 uh, from this episode. How about that? We haven't had that for a while. Squeezing ACDC's If You Want Blood, you've got it. Off of the number 10 spot is Def Leppard's On Through the Night. So that is quite a result, gents.
1: Yeah, that's a a really, really good score, isn't it? I I was just looking through these um, episode numbers, actually, that relate to all of these albums. And it is very rare. Uh, now for uh, albums to make it into the top 10. It's been 12 episodes since a band got into the top 10. um, And that was uh, 1984, uh, which was episode 26. And here we are, sorry, 10 episodes, Uh, episode 26. Here we are, episode 36. And this is the, you know, 30 albums later, this is the next one to make it in. So yeah, it's, um, it's a fairly exclusive club up there, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and you're always, you're always kind of slightly surprised when these albums do as well as they do because you know you've got a soft spot for it. You wonder if the other two will as well. Um, on Through the Night, I didn't know it was scored that well. I didn't know I'd enjoy it going back to it. I didn't know revisiting it for, a, for not for a long time. I didn't know I'd enjoy it as much as I as I did. You know, I knew I'd enjoy Mechanical Resonance. So anything that's anything that's over eight is we well, just got to look at the list. That's a proper barnstorm of an album. And, you know, to be, to to have a score of eight, you know, you're going to be squeezed out of the top 20 soon. And that's, you know, that's where we are. So there you go. We're going to work, shut the Hall of Fame for another week. Um, That was a blast. I certainly enjoyed it. I'm sure Mark and Richard did as well. That was episode 36 of the world famous Enter Sad Men podcast. Hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did putting it together. And if you did, come back and join us next time. Until then, cheers. All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary, and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.